this week, I want to continue speaking about this man named Peter. As I was studying this week, I was thinking about something. I wasn't thinking about this man named Peter. I was thinking about the fact that I'm having Jeep withdrawal. Um, it's a medical condition. Uh, it's weird because I'm driving and people aren't waving at me anymore. And I don't know what to do with that. If you've ever been in a Jeep, you know that Jeep people wave at each other for no apparent reason. It's amazing, you know, when I was just reading about Jeeps, just obsessing. And when Jeeps were made, they were made, you know, for the Second World War, and they had one purpose, and that was pretty much just to be able to go anywhere and do anything. That was, that was the idea. And as time has gone on, you know, you see a lot of Jeeps out there, and what's cool about them is, like, no two Jeeps are the same. When people customize them, they do all different things to them. But there is a term in the Jeep world, and it is called a mall crawler. And what a mall crawler is, is when you doll your Jeep up to do some insane things, but you never take it out to do insane things. All right? And it's just wrong. And so there's a story of this young man that I know, and his name is Shannon. And this young man, he bought uh, a really nice Jeep Gladiator, the pickup ones, right? And he dolled it up. And he takes it to this place called Southington, and he just beats it. I mean, beats this thing. I was going to show you a picture, like you do crazy things. The one day we went, and there's a picture of him with a bag on his head, because the one course you go through, the driver has to have a bag over his head, and the passenger tries to guide him. Like, it's really crazy, but we did that. And so that day, when we came home, he'd ripped the fender off his Jeep, and the front end, the stabilizer, he had to use his belt to hold it together, and we drove home 20 miles an hour. It was that awesome, right? And so the thing with Jeeps, though, is that what they do, it's not pretty sometimes, but they do what they were made to do. I want to talk about some spiritual authority today. I want to talk about the fact that this man named Peter, so many of the things, the great things that happened in his life happened after Jesus' ascension, happened after the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit didn't fall in Acts chapter 2 in order for Peter to be empowered yet comfortable. Now let me turn that. The Holy Spirit didn't fall in Acts chapter 2 in order for this church to be empowered yet comfortable. He fell for a reason, for us to do the things that God has called us to do. I'm going to be reading today out of Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 10 verses out of the New King James Version. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. It was at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The song from when I was young from children's church, rise up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, Peter helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts. He was walking and jumping and praising God. 
When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Hmm. A lame man who is healed. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, at the end of that in verse 43, that many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. This is an example in the very next chapter of something amazing that God was doing. Peter and John were going up together to the temple, it says. I love this. They were going together. And what that speaks to me right off the bat is that I love what happens when God's people get together and they're anticipating what God's going to do. Peter and John were apostles. They were partners in a fishing business, but they were polar opposites. John was said to be sensitive and intuitive. Of Peter, it's often said that the only time he opened his mouth was to put the other foot in it. Not only were they partners in a fishing business, but they had helped prepare the Passover meal together, we learn in Luke 22. They were the ones who ran to the tomb on that Easter morning in John chapter 20. God knows, church, how to put people together that are polar opposites. He knows how to put people together that will supplement and sharpen one another. That is a picture of what the church is right there. God has purpose in who he puts together. They go up at the hour of prayer. Jewish prayer times were at 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and sunset. Now, this is something that had been done many times before by probably both of these men. The ninth hour was known as a time of sacrifice, and it was known after that as a time of prayer. But notice the Bible says that they were going up for prayer and not for sacrifice. Get to that in a second. That ninth hour was when Elijah had gone up on top of that mountain, and the prophets of Baal were there, and he prayed to God to send down fire. It was during that ninth hour. That ninth hour was also when Daniel would swing those windows wide open and pray. And so it had significance, but it just got turned on its head and kicked up a notch for these men. Because in Hebrews 10.22, it says, let us draw near with a sincere heart, with a full assurance of faith. Do you know what had changed and why they didn't go up for sacrifice time? Because the cross had happened. Because the sacrifice had been fulfilled. Because they were there, and in that ninth hour, when Jesus Christ had cried out, it is finished on the cross, they were going for the prayer time and not the sacrifice, because the sacrifice wasn't what they needed anymore, because they had been with Jesus. After you experience the cross, and after you experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do church the same anymore. What's amazing is it said these people, after seeing Jesus ascend to heaven, we learn in Luke 24 that after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. It says in Acts 2, 46, that day by day they continued with one mind in the temple. So they didn't turn their back on the temple. And I can only imagine, too, that when they went to the temple, they couldn't wait to get with other people because those people were seeking spiritually to say, I've got to tell you about this this Messiah. I've got to tell you what has happened. I've got to tell you about the things that we have been praying to happen, seeing them with my own eyes. So when they're there that day, they could be going to tell others about Jesus. They could be going to meet with other disciples when they were there. Either way, these two were on a mission when they were going up there. But regardless of that, and I say that to all of us, they had a divine appointment that day. So you may think that you just showed up to church today, but there's divine appointment that goes on. 
You may think you just go through your day doing what you do, that if we can check off our box of getting up in the morning, doing our devotion, having a good attitude, like there's more to it than just that. There are these divine God appointments that when people are put in your path, don't miss the man at the gate. Don't miss the person that God has put in your path. Now, a man who was lame from birth, he was being carried to the temple gate, it was called Beautiful, where he was put every day. He was put there to beg from those going into the temple courts. That gate that was called Beautiful, it was noted by the historian Josephus that this gate was 75 feet tall and made out of Corinthian bronze. It was so beautiful that it put to shame even smaller gates that were made of gold and silver. This man was lame from his mother's womb, it says. In the very next chapter, we learn that this man was 40 years old, at least. Do you know what that translates into mathematically? 14,600 days. So for 14,600 days, this man's reality had been that he couldn't walk. He was carried along by good people day after day. He was carried along by people who said, you know what, we're going to go along to church, but we'll just leave you here to beg. Peter had probably passed by that guy hundreds of times himself. You think about this, though. This spot, he's probably not the only one there begging. Why did Peter stop that day? Why did Peter stop with that man? Do you know what the answer is? The answer is that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you are attuned to a still, small voice. That when he tells you to stop, you stop. When he highlights someone, they are highlighted and you are to go to them. He knew and Peter did what he was supposed to do. And at that point, just as I said earlier, because you cannot unencounter the Holy Spirit. Once he has filled you, you can try to ignore it. But that still small voice will be the loudest thing in your life sometimes. It's amazing when you read this story what you can simply come to accept. What's wild about this, it wasn't just that this man was unable to walk, but according to Mosaic law, this man wasn't able to go in and sacrifice. How sad is that? You have this contrast that on one side you have God's house. In between, you have this beautiful gate, and on the other side you have a man who's unworthy to walk through that gate. Almost saying, this is incredible, but not for you. We'll tell you all about it when we come out, but not for you. There's that contrast. What's wild about this gate, when we hear the word beautiful, we tend to think of it just on the way that it looked. But if you read into the wording that they use there, that word beautiful, it means timely. It means seasonable. It means ripe. It means opportune time. It's an in the name of Jesus time. I want to get to a place where it's an in the name of Jesus time. Because I'm telling you what, 14,600 days, this could have been the 14,601st day and something was about to happen. And I'm tired of just walking through this world thinking that's the way it's always going to be. Oh, I just have to accept that. Do I have to? Or is it 14,601? When the man saw Jesus, or when the man sees Peter, he asks him for money. This is how church had been done up to this point. In, kind, in temples, whether it be Hebrew, worshiping the Hebrew God, whether it was pagan temples, people would often sit outside of these temples because they knew when people went inside and they had a religious experience, they would come out and probably be in a good mood and more likely to give to these people. 
Under Mosaic law, one of the best things that you could do and one of the things that reflected your righteousness was giving alms to the poor. So you have people that in a religious way could bless someone with a few pennies. You have them doing good works. But church, you've been commissioned to break cycles. You've been commissioned to show shame the door. You've been commissioned to, in the name of Jesus, speak healing into situations and over bodies and over people and over families and over communities. You have been commissioned. Peter's clear to say, I don't operate under my own authority. He's clear to point out, it's not me. He knew those words in Mark 16, 17, 18 that these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. They will drink, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, here's what's wild about that. When you look at that wording in the beginning, it said it will follow those who believe. It doesn't say those who believe at this very time. It doesn't say those who believe who are seated right around the table. It said those who believe. I say it in a way that if we're those who believe, it's time to start walking in a way that we walk up and we lay hands on people and they recover in Jesus' name. Now, that seems bold, right? Because that takes a little bit. That it's one thing to walk up to someone and to drop a few pennies in a can because, you know, it makes you feel better than it makes them feel better. But it takes a lot more to walk up to someone and say, I see the situation that you're in. And in Jesus' name, I speak life over that situation. One of my favorite things about this beautiful, it means harvest time. Give me a sec, because I can't hold it together on this one. My question is, who's harvest time? When I'm studying, there's this phrase that I just had to write down. You are blank in spiritual authority. It could be you are comfortable sitting in spiritual authority. You are walking in the authority. You are, what in spiritual authority are we doing? Because nowhere in this passage does it say it was the faith of the man who was begging that made him whole. What I'm saying is this, that there are harvest times, and it's almost like Peter and John walked into this man's field, and he was unaware it was harvest time, and they said, in Jesus' name, it's harvest time. I say that because there are situations in this church that I want to be able to walk into your situation and say, in Jesus' name, it's harvest time. When you can't see it, when you're laying there and you're like, I can't see it because it's always been this way. No, it's harvest time. Today is that day. I don't want to be unfaithful because I don't want to hold back someone not getting the harvest that Jesus has for them. Harvest time. It says, Peter looked straight at this man. One version says he fastened his eyes upon this man. You know, we walk around and we say, Lord, show me those people that you want to put in my path. That's bold. But it's even bolder to say, God, literally fasten my eyes to the broken so that I cannot unattach them. Here's what's wild. In the chapter before, literally just happened, Peter and John had witnessed thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ. They had witnessed the first revival, if you will, on a grand scale. They could be walking around feeling like celebrities in a way. They could be walking around and thinking, we're looking for the multitudes. But you know what? They had their eyes on the one. 
And I feel like when it comes to us, the one is just as important as the hundreds. The one is just as important as the dozens that you may want to see walk through that door. The one, are you looking at the one? Because when it comes to that Holy Spirit, like lock your eyes on, if you have been around church any amount of time, I'm telling you what, you know what I think of? I think of you, Sheila. I think Sheila gets that look like when we were young and we'd be acting up, Sheila would just give us, and I mean, you felt like, you felt the Holy Ghost and you're like, I'm scared. Especially when she, the point, right? There is something that even Superman doesn't have when it comes to that Holy Spirit look that is given. Jesus, he has called these men to do incredible things. He has called us to do incredible things. When the Romans wanted something done, do you know what they would do? They would mention the name of Caesar. Because when you mention Caesar's name, it brings up this idea of power, authority, and dominion. Here's what's wild. The mention of Caesar's name hadn't changed this guy's life for 40 years. When it comes to the world, I am tired of waiting on the world to meet needs that Jesus Christ says that he will meet. This man did not need Jehovah handout. He needed Jehovah Rapha. He needed the God who heals right then. Peter, in almost a military sense, he's like, look at me. He doesn't do that because he's looking down on the man. He's doing that because it has been shown in studies that people who beg often know the best places to go to find the most people who will pass by them. It is also said in studies of psychology of people who beg that people who beg will watch people's eyes because they have learned the type of person who is likely to respond. God, fasten my eyes. God, fasten my eyes. When they look at me, I want to be looking right back. See, I'm not intimidated by what comes before me because I know who I am walking with. Fasten my eyes, God. In Acts 3, 5, it says that he gave heed to Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. Every interaction up to this point is about to be turned on its head for this man. When Peter says, look, he's not just saying, pay attention. The word used here is behold. Do you know where else this word has been used? It is used when they were looking in the tomb at those linens which were laying there where a risen Savior had stood up. That's behold. It was the same way that the disciples looked as Jesus ascended into heaven. They beheld. It's that same word which is used when Saul is knocked off of his horse and he beholds Jesus. And so what Peter's saying right there is not just look at me, but I want you to look at Christ in me. I want you to look past me and see Jesus. Look, look. He says these words. I mean, as a kid, this song. There's this term for a song that's incredible. And this was the song, this song. I, did any of you do silver and gold? Have I known, but such I have given. I, did you ever do that in children's church? Come on, I mean, we went nuts. We got yelled at. Like we did Father Abraham and we'd get in boxing matches. We'd do this song and we'd be breaking chairs. We were, it was great. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What this here is, he is saying, in the authority. Now, when I said that before about Caesar, there was something that I was thinking with this. There has never been a time. I'll hold that thought. We as a church can get comfortable 
in this point, when Peter says, silver and gold have I none, he doesn't say it apologetically. He doesn't say, like, I'm so sorry, I don't have silver and gold. What he's saying is this. He's saying, what you're looking for, I have something better. And what's important is that we as the church need to understand that Christianity has no need to apologize for Jesus. The Bible has no reason to apologize for the power that it wields. We can get comfortable in things, but I want God to refocus me every single time. Eyes on Jesus. What I have, I give to you. What I have, I give to you. You cannot give what you don't have. Imagine the confidence of Peter in this moment, of him being able to speak that. What is eternal will cut right through the temporal. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Something shoots through me when I hear the name Jesus, when I speak the name of Jesus over things. In the name of Jesus, it cuts through me. What's wild is when I say in the name of Biden, it doesn't cut through me. When I say in the name of Trump, it doesn't cut through me. When I say in the name of Mitch McConnell, it doesn't cut through me. When I say in the name of AOC, in the name of Tucker Carlson, in the name of Sean Hannity, in the name of Rachel Maddow, none of those cut through me. But when I say in the name of Jesus, it carries authority. It's not just a talking head. It is a savior. He is risen. He is risen. And I love when he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Do you know why? Because that was a put down used by the Jews, that Nazarene, that nasty place that he came from. And so what Peter's saying is that very nasty place where this Messiah once walked, him, that is the one that I say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Because he knew a truth, that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I say that as clearly as the day that it was written, every knee is going to bow. There is authority. I do not care how smart the atheist thinks they are at the moment. When the glory of Jesus hits, your knee is going to bow. It's much more than identification. It's a statement of authority, of reputation, of power. In the case of Jesus, like when we say that, okay, again, we don't say that like it's a replacement for abracadabra. I say it because it's a statement of who he is, because it is a statement of was and is and is to come, that nothing on this earth intimidates the Jesus that I serve. He says, rise up and walk. There are words and there are follow through, right? Because it's easy for us to say to someone, I'm going to pray for you. But it's a lot different, and we've talked about this before, than right there, just be like, well, here we go, right here, I'm going to pray for you. That's a little weird. And Peter takes it to the next step of not just speaking. What Peter does is Peter reaches out his hand, the Bible says, and helps him up. No, that's something, right? Did anyone tell Peter that this man was 40 years old and had never walked in his life and he just said, rise up and walk? Like, good Lord, that's a tall order in this place. But what's wild and what I love is Peter does something when I say you cannot give what you don't have. Peter remembers that hand coming down below the waves. And in that moment, he has that visual of Jesus Christ reaching down as he reaches for this man. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Here's what I love about this. This is attributed to Luke, this writing. So I say this to any medical personnel in the house so you can get a different look at Jesus, an even better look 
Perhaps only medical men can fully appreciate the meaning of these words. They are peculiar technical words of a medical man. The word translated feet is only used by Luke, and it occurs nowhere else. It indicates his discrimination between different parts of the human heel. The phrase ankle bones is, again, a medical phrase and found nowhere else. The words leaping up describe coming suddenly into socket out of something that was out of place, the articulation of a joint. This is a very careful medical description of what happened in connection with this man. My favorite, favorite testimonies are the ones when the doctors walk in and say, we have last week's scan and I saw something and I have today's. And I don't know if we have the right one because I don't see anything. Those are my favorite testimonies. My favorite testimonies, and we've said it before, one of my favorite testimonies was doing the God math when Brad Settle was laying in a bed with a less than 5% chance to ever live again. Man math had him in the ground 95 out of 100 times. God math caused that man the next day to be sitting up at the end of his bed eating breakfast and standing. I say that because the God we serve will do things that some of the brightest minds will be in awe of. It says the man jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with John and Peter into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Even the best Christians that I know, you think of this. If you had never walked, and this was your first time walking, I would probably want to go see my family. I'd probably want to go walk, you know, if he'd never worked and he'd begged his whole life. Maybe he wanted to go that day and start a job to get a paycheck. Maybe he wanted to be carried somewhere that maybe on his birthday they'd carry him to the beach or something, right? Maybe he wanted to see something beautiful, but the first place that he goes is into God's house. And I love this because it was the place that now, in this very moment, you have been healed, you have been deemed worthy, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because when it says walking and leaping and praising God, you can't praise whom you don't know. And he, in this moment, had a total overhaul. They enter the temple. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized this guy as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. It was a confirmation of Messiah. What had happened was a confirmation of Messiah. The very word used to describe what was ailing him is the same word which is used when John the Baptist when he was imprisoned, he had heard of the works of Jesus. He sends disciples, and the disciples ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answers and says, go and report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive sight, the lame, the exact word used for this man, walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In that, it is confirmation. And here's where I am. I am done. I am done having a safe faith. What am I doing in spiritual authority? I'm done chilling out in spiritual authority. I'm done just walking the way I've always walked in spiritual authority. 
Just like with a Jeep, it's time to get a little mud on the tires when it comes to faith here. It's time to start doing things and speaking into things and putting our hand out to things that we may have been scared to before. See, it was never on your authority. Why am I scared? Josh, why would I be scared? When I say in Jesus' name, it's his power that's doing it. Like, why am I freaked out? Why would I be freaked out to walk up to a stranger and say, in Jesus' name? Why? Because the stranger may not like me. The stranger doesn't even know me. But imagine the things that happen. Did you catch the man's name in this? Did you catch the part where Peter and John are like, sir, what is your name? Nice to meet you. We are apostles. No, we don't even know the guy's name, but we know what happened. I'm going to close. It is said that there is a story of a humble monk who was walking with a Roman Catholic cardinal. This was during a time in the Middle Ages when the Catholic Church was at the zenith of its power, of prestige, and its wealth. The cardinal walking into a large cathedral said to the young monk, as he points to the opulent surroundings, we no longer have to say silver and gold I do not have. And to this the monk replies to him, but neither can you say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. I want what he has for this church. That man at the gate thought he was showing up that day to beg for alms. What he was doing was he was there to encounter day 14,601, where he would get up and he would walk. You know what's amazing with this with Peter that I was thinking, though? Think of this. When babies start to walk, they got to get their legs right? Like their little muscles got to get strong. They got to get their balance. They got to get their timing. It says that this man instantly stood to his feet as they were healed. As the joints came into play, he went walking and leaping. Now imagine this. You go from being immobile to walking and leaping and praising God all at the same time. It is not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition of man more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. In every way, in every shape, in every form, it is our job. He is able to do far more than we could ask or think. We need to walk in that. I end on this point. This weekend, I was hanging out with some people, with some Knowles, and it's amazing. You know, I was just talking to Dolores, and we were talking about Bernice, how she's like this spiritual lightning rod that you may see her, that Bernice, she's just a little thing. But when she prays, I'm telling you what, you can feel that. And Bernice was telling me something that I shared with Dolores, and she said, it is so important to know the voice of Jesus Christ, to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. She said, you know what's also important? to know the voice of the enemy. So you can tell him, get out of here. So you can tell him, I'm not listening to you. Someone said to me, and they were telling me this, the pastor, little church in McKinney, Texas. He said, he's going to start church one morning and his wife was sitting on the front pew. He said, I looked at my wife and all the color had run out of her face. Kind of slumped. He said, I walked up to her and said, what's wrong? And she said, my chest just feels so heavy. 
arm. It's feeling numb. And he knew that in that small town, whatever he was driving would go faster than the ambulance. So he threw her in the car and church was about to start. And before he left, he said, somebody needs to reach heaven. And instead of doing what they normally did, that church had them a prayer meeting. And he said to me, as I was going, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit doing something. And he said, my wife, they get her into a room and they're running all these tests and they think they know what's going on. He said, but Jesus Christ did a miracle. This is why it is vital. Because see, in that moment, she couldn't declare her own harvest season. But somebody else stood in and did it for her. Church, it's that time. It is that time. I want us to be bold enough to be real with one another. Because I cannot speak into your harvest season if you're describing a field that doesn't exist. Right? If you're living in a dreamland and you're like, yep, I've got... I've got pumpkins that can win blue ribbons at the fair and you don't have any pumpkins. I want you to describe it for what it is so I can speak harvest into that. I want you to be able to say, it has been like a famine where I am and I don't think anything's growing for us to be able as a church to say, in Jesus' name, we step into that situation. We stand in the gap and we call it in his way. We speak kingdom. If you'll stand. It is a privilege and an honor to be together, church family. I know that there are dozens of places that you could have been this weekend. I appreciate you being in God's house. Here's what I would ask. Here's a request as a pastor. Today, instead of beelining for the car, shake a few hands. Hug a few necks, as they say in the church. Ask how someone's doing. You see a kid, ask them how their first week of school went. Expect them to say terrible. (laughs) But love one another. Love one another. Chicken, it'll wait. Sunday chicken at Cracker Barrel, you're going to be sitting in that rocking chair for an hour anyway. Spend some time here. If you bow your heads, let's pray. God, I speak blessing over this family. I speak boldness over this family, and I speak a reaffirming of spiritual authority over this family. I pray, Lord, a fearlessness in situations that are going to be before us. And Father, I pray that not only will we speak the words, but we will reach out our hand. Begin to bring the harvest in like never before, but bring it in, Lord, because your people are carrying it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.